A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Anoush and I'm joined today by Ben Walker, Harry Lambert and Rachel Cunliffe to discuss the latest in the government's apparent collapse. So I'm really glad that you've all joined us today. I'm sure our listeners won't need to have a recap of what's happened, but I think so far, and of course this could change in the course of our recording, we've had 13 resignations, junior ministers, trade envoys, vice chair of the party, but most significantly the chancellor, Rishi Sunak, and the health secretary, Sajid Javid. And we're recording on the morning after those two big beasts resigned. It looks like it could be the end of days for Boris Johnson's government, but we are hearing that he wants to cling on and he's got a very torrid day ahead with PMQs and also an appearance before the Liaison Committee. Harry, what pushed those big beasts, Sajid Javid and Rishi Sunak, into resigning when they did? And what's happening at the moment? What can we expect from the rest of this day? So let's just start with Robert Halfen, who's been a stout supporter of the Prime Minister, has just withdrawn his confidence in him as we as we went on air, uh, which is really significant, actually, because he's another one who is part of the wing of the party that, that Sanjay Javid really represents. Halfen voted for him. And I think people like Javid and Halfen are really dismayed by the Christopher Pincher story. But the roots of their resignations run deeper than that. Javid considered resigning in recent days and was split ultimately over whether he could endure the wrath of Boris Johnson, who we know is not, is not a man to take the resignation of others lightly. And I think in the end, he just found it unbearable to continue to defend the PM, who he felt would do him indefensible. It's really interesting, isn't it, that this Chris Pincher scandal has been the thing to tip ministers over the edge. Is it because it was yet another example of Boris Johnson avoiding the truth, letting a story drag out for days and also sending ministers and MPs out to defend a line that was ultimately dishonest? Yeah, as one person close to some of these these figures said to me yesterday, all the cabinet ministers think there but for the grace of God go I tomorrow as they watch Dominic Raab or whoever um, immolate themselves live on air. And the fascinating thing is that Nadine Sahawi last night chose to prop up the Prime Minister and take on that role this morning by becoming Chancellor. And we can get into that. the wisdom of that. But I think, look, someone like Sunak, for instance, who is getting a lot less credit than he might because he's taken so long to stand down, given that we all knew he, he was close to doing so. He too like Javid, these are ultimately competent men who want to be seen as having integrity and who quite possibly do have integrity. And in the end, everyone is dragged down by their involvement with Boris Johnson. That's the lesson of the last few years. And we've seen a long line of people resign because they feel in the end they can't continue to work for him. And we're going to see more of that today. 
Yeah, and I really did feel that the mood had changed, you know, even in the last few days. As this Chris Pincher story was being dragged out, one Tory rebel MP was saying to me, you know, I used to feel sorry for my ministerial colleagues having to do these rounds and defend the indefensible, but now I don't. Now I think, why on earth are you still there? And I feel like that kind of pressure and that frustration from the backbenches had finally made its way into some of these ministers who have been resigning. As well as that, you can feel this. You talked about Robert Halfham, who is a an Essex MP, but there's also, I think, a drift of support away from Boris Johnson among Red Wall MPs. I was speaking to a Red Wall MP recently who was saying divided parties can't win elections. We won't win an election if we're tearing ourselves apart like this and that the common denominator for all of these divisions is Boris Johnson. And you've seen some quite significant red wall resignations from the sort of junior front bench, uh, Jonathan Gullis and Nicola Richards as well. And of course, these were the MPs who some of them used to say they owed their election victories to Boris Johnson's leadership. Uh, absolutely. And I think you're talking about the party being divided. A couple of rebels I was with last night said that we're not divided. Johnson has united the party in opposition against him. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why they were amazed that Zahawi chose to prop him up, essentially, by taking by taking the Treasury. One said they were highly disappointed in him and he could have been the compromised candidate and that he's wrecked his leadership chances. So it's an interesting decision. I understand why he made it. it it's a great bit of profile, but it's hard to see that he's going to be in the post for long because it's very hard to see how Boris Johnson can possibly remain in office when a majority of his MPs now want to get rid of him. So do you think that's what's going to happen then? I know it's unfair to ask you to predict something, but is the likelihood now that we're seeing the last days of Boris Johnson's government? Oh, I love to make uh, an erroneous prediction. (laughs) Yeah, I think absolutely. Look, it's always been very simple, simpler than it seems, this story. When a majority of MPs want Boris Johnson gone, he will go. As someone said to me before, nature will find a way. 180 MPs can write to the Times if they like. 180 can submit letters of no confidence. In the end, if a majority of your MPs want you gone, you'll go. We've talked before about how the 1922 committee can change the rules, and that's very much possible. And it may happen even before the summer recess now. So at the end of the day, once you've lost the support of a majority of your party, you will soon be gone. And that's definitely the case now. It's clear that he's lost a majority. He was already had lost 41%, and many of those who previously supported him and now coming out against them. Right, of course, the actual trigger for this, Rachel, was Chris Pincher and the allegations against him and how Boris Johnson was found to have ignored the allegations that were upheld and appointed him as Deputy Chief Whip. And this does smack of the last days of John Major, doesn't it, and the sleaze scandals that surrounded him and his his cabinet. So do you think do you think this has been a significant part of Boris Johnson's downhaul? Because you've written about the pestments, the so-called pestments to the scandal before. <laughs> It's really interesting. Obviously, Pestminster is not something that just refers to the Conservative Party. There have been allegations and indeed judgments against MPs from any number of parties. So it's not fair to blame the sleaze culture of Westminster purely on the Tories. But that said, there have been a string of them lately. The two by-elections that we had two weeks ago, the Conservatives lost both of them. Both were triggered by their MPs having to stand down because of various sleaze, scandals, You had David Weberton just a month or so before. Again, allegations of improper conduct and groping aids and all kinds of things. You've had Rob Roberts, who had the whip removed and then handed back. You've got an unnamed Tory MP who was arrested on various charges, including rape a couple of months ago, who we don't know who that is, but we do know that it's not one of the ones who's been named for other sleaze allegations. So these kind of things just rack up. Now, I don't think it's quite fair to say that 
Sleaze is, is bringing down Boris Johnson's government because I think that the trigger wasn't so much the, the Chris Pincher allegations and the reports of what it was that, that he did while drunk at the end of last week. It was the denial. I think I, I've spoken to quite a few Conservatives who have previously pepped Boris Johnson who have said if he just worked out how this scandal was going to play out and said from the beginning I should never have appointed him I'm very sorry that I did I'm pleased that he's resigned he's going to have the whip removed this is very serious we take allegations of sexual misconduct very seriously in this party end of if he said that on Friday yeah people would still have said what did you know when and why did you appoint him but the kind of momentum would have been taken out of it. Instead, we had this ridiculous stream of ever-changing denials. The Prime Minister wasn't aware of any allegations. The Prime Minister wasn't aware of any specific allegations. The Prime Minister wasn't aware of any specific and serious allegations. So all the allegations that he was aware of had been resolved. Um, and then yesterday we had this bombshell letter from Simon McDonald, who is a civil servant who has had a multi-decade career and it is not known for wading into rows like this, but he felt it important to go on the record and say the Prime Minister was briefed in person about one incident that happened while Pincher was at the Foreign Office. And in response to that, the Downing Street line was, yes, but he forgot. And I think it was the weakness of that excuse, the lack of planning, the lack of any kind of comm strategy that meant that you'd had MPs go out on the broadcast round of the last few days saying, I, I trust the Prime Minister didn't know about this, only to have that U-turn yet again, when we've seen scandals like this play out in that way before. I think a, a lot of Conservative MPs, David among them probably looked at that and just went, there is no credibility left. How can you even try to support a government that doesn't even seem particularly interested in handling its own comms crisis in a competent and forward-looking way? Yeah, and of course, when a prime minister is forced to, this isn't a rare thing in politics, but when they're forced to put loyalty above sort of moral integrity or competence in their appointments, it's a sign of an already weak prime minister, isn't it? He had to appoint Chris Pincher as his deputy chief whip because Chris Pincher was at the heart of that shadow whipping operation earlier this year when he was initially under pressure from Tory MPs over Partygate. It echoes when Theresa May restored the whip to those two MPs who had been suspended for allegations of sexual misconduct just hours ahead of a vote to try and save her own skin in 2018. And of course, she was gone shortly afterwards. It is a sign of an already weak leader. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious and Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. 
one was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ben, I'm really interested. How attractive is the top job? You know, for people, I mean, there's obviously uh, the suggestion that both Sajid Javid and Rishi Sunak might be positioning themselves to be the next Tory leader. But how attractive is that job really? Is it just Boris Johnson's reputation that's in tatters among the public? Or has that sort of filtered into the Tory party as a whole? Yeah, I've popped on here. I don't, I don't know how many times I've popped on the podcast, but I'd say about the past six months, I've done it at least once a month. And at the start, I remember saying that it was very much sort of Boris Johnson. It was very much his type of reputation that was falling. You had all these Leave voters, you had these Tory voters in the marginals, the backgrounds that matter, just being a bit shocked with him, losing their faith. But Labour wasn't really gaining from it. Now it really has filtered through to brand conservative. Boris Johnson is the Conservative Party to a lot of these voters, a lot of the voters in Wakefield, a lot of the voters in the Red Wall, the marginals that matter. It has filtered through to the Conservative brand now. And um, James Johnson, reputable pollster, who he christened Johnson now as the Conservatives' equivalent of Jeremy Corbyn. Here is a man who is just like a dead weight on the party. And give it a year. If he lasts a year, I don't know who, how many of us think that, <laughs> but if Boris Johnson were to last, say, the next few months or whatever, you will have voters... Not remembering Johnson for Brexit. Most voters not remembering Johnson for Brexit. You won't have most voters remembering Johnson for COVID. You'll have most voters thinking of Johnson and thinking, why didn't you get rid of him sooner? Why didn't you get rid of this sort of dead weight, this man who has, who, have, who we have been so dissatisfied with for so long? Perfect example. Last night, YouGov poll, 69%, great number, wanted Johnson to resign his role as Prime Minister. And it wasn't just the usual suspects of Labour and Lib Dem voters and Remain voters who wanted Johnson gone. You had a majority of Conservative voters who wanted Johnson gone. And that's the big thing. About a month ago, two months ago, you had around about 50, 50 something percent wanted Johnson out. And that was a minority of Tory voters. Now it's 69. That big shift, that big push has primarily come from Tory voters, not just being apathetic, not just being a little bit irritated with how the country is going, but they actually are really angry with Johnson. This is the big shift. Tory voters are no longer apathetic. They are irritated with Johnson. They want him gone. Right. Okay. And in terms of the potential leadership contenders, 
are there are there figures who are more popular among the British public than others? No. To put bluntly, rewind six months ago, Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, they were seen as the potential successors of this potential wings, the potential factions in the Conservative Party, the post-Boris, post-Johnson, sorry, Conservative Party. Rishi has fallen from grace in quite a big way. Primarily, it should be said, not because of his attachment to Partygate, not because of his attachment to Johnson, but because he was perceived to have handled the cost of living crisis quite badly. I don't really know whether his resignation yesterday will recover his ratings somewhat. I really do think he was hit hard by a perceived inability to handle the issues of fuel costs, the issues of price rises. His reputation hasn't recovered since his about turn a month or two later. He, he was the frontrunner, and now he's not Jeremy Hunt. It, it could have been, Liz Truss could have been, but the thing is, they're not exactly recognised by much of the public, and they don't really have much in the shape of favourability by much of the public. This is the thing, they're non-entities until they're not. And they, we, need, we need to wait for the resignation of Boris Johnson, for the real frontrunners to emerge with the public, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and Labour, on their part, this is what opposition parties do when there might be a, a change of prime minister or a, parties in, a governing parties in crisis, but they're calling for a snap election. Would, they, would that be to their advantage? Would yeah. it be black and white or is there some way to go for it, them? Yeah, at the, at the moment it is in the opposition's interest to have a general election because the Labour Party knows how to beat Boris Johnson, or at least thinks they do, in the current form at least. Now, you look at the polls, OK? Nationally, Labour has a lead of about seven points. Not much. That's not like the 20-point leads Ed Miliband got. That's not the huge leads David Cameron got against Gordon Brown. But it's, it's reasonable, it's susceptible. It got you a by-election win in a key marginal a few weeks ago. Labour's not just ahead on national polls. They're also ahead, at least by a tiny amount, on the economy. They're also ahead on likability. They're also ahead on the public's preference for prime minister. On these four key metric, Labour ahead. You didn't have that under Corbyn. You didn't have that under Miliband. Cameron was struggling a little bit at the start to pull ahead on preference for prime minister. He only got these the leads on these four key metrics near the end, right? This is an election-willing formula that Labour has right now. On the, on, on the economy, on preference for Prime Minister, on public likability, that, that suggests if there was an election tomorrow, Labour would win. And I dare say they probably would get a majority if you factor in for tactical voting, which we know in an era of swinging politics, voters are less loyal to their, their tribal identities. It probably would be fair to say if an election was held tomorrow or in the next few months, when the cost of living is key in the public mind... Labour would probably come away with a majority. If you had an election in two, three years' time, you don't know what the issues are going to be. Mm. Probably the cost of living is far and away at the back of the public's mind. Maybe they're so normalised to it, it, is, it isn't a voter-motivating issue anymore. It's in the opposition's interest to have an early election. And, you know, uh, that, yeah, that's all I can say. Great. Thanks, Ben. And so it does beg the question, I think, Harry, you mentioned this towards the beginning of the podcast, of why... So many cabinet ministers seem to be sticking around. And also why someone like Nadim Sahawi, who is a respected minister, has stepped in to be Boris Johnson's chancellor. Absolutely. I think, look, Nadim, it's a tough decision for him. You're being offered essentially the second best job in the country. And the rise in profile that he's now going to get for the next 36 hours while Boris Johnson continues to be PM is significant. But I think <laughs> over the long run, maybe by the weekend, it will look like a strange decision. So I'm not quite sure why he's done it. I think today, this morning, look at Robert Halfman, not just him, but other MPs who many of us hadn't heard of until today are resigning. 
or withdrawing their confidence in the prime minister. But another one that's significant who listeners may have heard of is Lee Anderson, who's just now also done so. In the time we record this podcast, people are resigning. By the time someone listens to it, others will have resigned. This is a completely unsustainable situation. And I do wonder whether Zahar will come to regret it if Johnson is effectively forced out before the summer recess, which will be in, I think it's 13 days or 14 days now until that time. Mm. So I think it, it could come to be seen as a strange decision to, to, to try and prop, prop the prime minister up. It, it only really will pay off for Zahawi if it pays off at all, if Johnson can survive the summer. But even then, Anush, I'm not quite sure why he's done it, because the only story in town is going to be whether Boris Johnson can survive another day. No one is seriously going to dis- discuss Nadine Zahawi's economic policies because he's not going to be around to implement any of them because Boris Johnson isn't going to be around. I've gone backward and forward trying to understand this decision and trying to rationalise it, but I'm really not sure I can at this point. Okay. And other new appointments in this forced reshuffle include Steve Barclay, the former Chief of Staff, as Health Secretary, and Michelle Donnellan, very lonely, I think, at the DfE at the moment, but the time of recording, as the new Education Secretary. Rachel, you actually interviewed her recently when she was but a mere universities minister, didn't you? What did you make? I did. And she would be the first one to say that she's not actually the universities minister. She's Minister of State for Higher and Further Education. And actually, her big thing was saying that not everyone can or should go to university and actually further education and apprenticeships and that's the key to levelling up and all of that. Um, She did seem, I would say when I interviewed her, heavily briefed and very much towing the party line on literally everything. So I'm not surprised that when there was a a vacancy (laughs) at the top of her department, she was somebody who was looked to for that role. But again, in terms of what Harry is saying, I'm not sure that there's going to be much appetite for finding out her big overarching educational strategy that she is going to put in place over the next couple of years or the end of the parliamentary term, because that's just not the time frame that we're looking at the moment. We talk a lot about Boris Johnson resigning and if he'll resign and when he'll resign. I think we can all probably agree that Boris Johnson will resign when he is literally forced to do so and has no other choice. It's not a case of more cabinet resignations will prompt him to suddenly go, actually, you know what, I can't cling on. And I think to go back to what Ben was saying, while a snap election would play in in, in Labour's favour at the moment, we might get to a point where it also plays in Boris Johnson's favour because he realises that he has literally no other options left other than to go to the country and gamble that his his electoral pop- popularity will overcome his unpopularity among his own MPs. I, I think he might just be mad enough to risk it. Uh, And I think if the Conservatives want to get rid of him, they have to change the rules uh, and they have to have another vote of no confidence. Probably they have to do it before the summer recess because one of the things we've learnt from the last year is that every time you think a a scandal or a political incident has got him, he just manages to cling on long enough that there's something else, I don't know, Keir Starmer getting fined or war in Ukraine that changes the narrative and then the momentum drops out of it again. So if Conservative MPs are listening to this, which I'm sure they all are, I would say change the rules today. Don't wait for the election of the 1922 committee. Change the rules today. Have a vote of no confidence tomorrow. That's the only way you're going to get rid of him. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that idea of Boris Johnson calling a snap election and making MP, well, making Conservative candidates campaign <laughs> to make him Prime Minister. Can you imagine how many leaflets there would be that just doesn't mention him? But it wouldn't, it wouldn't actually happen that way, right? <laughs> just to play this out, Boris Johnson tries to call an election immediately, 922 meets, 
cause the cause a vote of no confidence. He's out by the end of the day. That's probably going to happen anyway. But it's not. It's really not mm-hmm. an option for him to call an election. Just so we we cover that. <laughs> Yeah, thank goodness. And I'm sure all the Tory MPs you, you, you think are listening to this, Rachel, will be very relieved to hear that. So I will let you all get on with your day because it's a very busy day and we will be recording later in the week as well. But I do encourage our listeners to read Harry's brilliant coverage from last night, which is on the New Statesman website. And Andrew Marr, our political editor, will also be writing in this week's magazine as well on everything that's happening behind the scenes. Thanks so much, guys. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Ben Walker, Rachel Cunliffe, and Harry Lambert. We're produced by Adrian Bradley, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.